Good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. This is Pastor Jason Vaughn with Pastor Gino Glermo. And today in studio, we have a missionary, David Shoemaker, and we look forward to our discussion with him. Good to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So kind of excited. Uh, it's been a while since we've been on the podcast, but good to have some of our missionaries coming in and uh, doing some interviews so that our listeners uh, can always have a point of reference to to kind of have a more in-depth understanding of what you're doing. Um, I feel like a lot of our people right now know, know you, and I've been hanging out with the men on Tuesday mornings and uh, presented the ministry a couple times to the church and preached for the church. And so uh, a lot of people know you, but you know how it is. New people come in, and uh, we, we want to be able to also have them listen and hear what you're doing. And uh, even though you're getting ready to go on the field and um, things may change on the field for natural reasons, for good reasons, not not bad reasons, um, we want to have be able to kind of have our Listeners, get to know you a bit, hear a little bit about your background, hear a little bit about what you're going to do, and possibly some of the challenges you're already aware of when you get onto the field. And then um, maybe, maybe we'll talk about that too so that so that our listeners understand because uh, when I first got into listening to missionaries, you know, they tell you what they're going to do, and then sometimes, like, you find out that what they're doing isn't exactly what they told you in the beginning. You're like, whoa, yeah. was there a bait and switch here? <laughs> And the answer is no, it's just the nature of missions. And so we always hope, too, that our listeners kind of listen in. Um, not, not only one, get to know you better and, and, your, and your spouse, even though she's not here today, and, and kind of what you guys are trying to do, but also just understand the context of missions better. Mm-hmm. I think the better we are informed of, of the realities of the situation you're in, the better mm-hmm. we can pray for you and serve you. And then yeah. not be shocked like, well, there's a bait and switch, you know. Yeah. And so That's not very different than church plans because you think you're going to go in doing something a yes. certain way. Five years down the road, you're like, hey, you just tossed out all that original yes. plan that you had and the Lord did something else. And usually it's better because it makes more sense. Yes. No, you're, <laughs> so, you're 100% right. It is better. Yeah. 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 So it's good. Change, change is good, especially um, a lot of what we do really is require wisdom. Mm-hmm. And, and trusting the Lord that, that the, the, the wisdom that we're picking still is under the peripheral of making disciples. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And so that's the good news. Like if you're listening into this, like Cornerstone is looking for people that are church-centered, that, that want to make disciples. Um, and so we ask the question, how does each missionary fit into that role? Um, and so, you know, some of them are in Europe training pastors in places that already have churches and, and, you know, have hundreds of churches, even if there are small churches of three to four families, there's still churches. And so, you know, the, the needs of Spain are different from the needs of Croatia and are different from the needs of Southeast Asia, which is where you're headed. And you're headed into a little bit more unique situation. Um, 
So different in that way because uh, different needs and different, and that, that to me, that's really cool. So mm-hmm. like, you know, we're, we're not trying to box everybody into like, Hey, if they're not doing these same three things, then they're not missionary. We're, we're really trying to more pick a guy that we can get behind and a family we can get behind and trusting that your love for the Lord and missions work is, is going to make you a faithful pastor. And so we're not even looking for results. We're not looking for like, you know, you to email us in five years, you know, I brought 55 people to the Lord, even though we would want that. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're, but you know what I mean? So that's the cool part. We're, we're looking for faithfulness and character. Well, throwing away that chart then. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. That's why we quit supporting Jeremiah because he couldn't save anybody in his book. So we're like, man, no more Jeremiah in this church. Yeah. <laughs> it's only Isaiah and John for us. So yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, David, welcome. Glad Thank you made you. it. Yeah. Um, and I agree with all of that, especially just, uh, the that's a difficult thing that we've already had to deal with is you make these plans you know and as the bible clearly says that man makes his plans but the lord establishes his way you know so uh you make these plans and then things come up and more information comes in and you have to adjust and then you go down that path and then you may have to adjust again and so you start to feel like man is there going to be a time coming where everything I told everybody is now no longer (laughs) the set path and they're all going to think we lied to them. And so that's just something that in our training, we heard the word over and over again, that a a missionary uh, needs to learn how to pivot is what they would say. So you, you Mm -hmm. see a door that's open and you start running towards it and you may get right up to the cusp of that door and it slams right in your face. And so you turn and you, you see the, the, another open door and so you start running in that direction. And that's just sometimes the nature of it. Because like you said, it's very similar to church planning. You know, things change. You may be in a certain area and then uh, the school you're meeting in, you can't meet there anymore. So you have to start meeting in a different area, you know, and, and that's just kind of the nature of things. But then on the field, you kind of add in you know, perhaps a government that doesn't want you there. You're not a citizen. You have to be able to renew your visa. And there's uh, maybe open hostility and difficulty of starting a business to even be able to stay there. And so there's a whole new set of things that are really out of your control that can change at a moment's notice. And you have to try to adjust in that. So I appreciate you guys saying it's not that the missionaries are uh, that they lied to you about what they were going to do. It's just that the Lord changes things mid-step, you know. Yeah. Which, which I think is important. Like, you know, you don't get behind the game plan. You get behind the person and the people that are that are going there because, principally, you want them to, you know, have the right kinds of principles, mm-hmm. you know, versus because plans always do change. That's mm-hmm. that's just part of life. So, yeah, just having and, and and that's the thing too. Like you're you're from Vegas, or at least you've been here for been here for a while. Yeah, been here for a while. So uh, it, it's good to actually get to know you personally. And, yeah, um, you guys too. Yeah, it's been a joy. And and I think what you said is correct. The the you get behind the plan, and the plan that we all see in the scriptures and agree on is that we want to see the gospel go forward, and we want to see Jesus Christ worshipped in every language and we want to see him receive the reward for his suffering and if there's a plan that can be implemented to say hey we want to go to this people to see them worship jesus christ and we can see that that plan has been implemented uh based on the bible and biblical means then that's something we want to get behind you know and pray for and and help any way we can because we're we're told to 
um, push forward God's kingdom. And so we want to get behind that plan, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and sometimes yeah, those sure. steps may change along the way, but mm. yeah. yeah. And to be fair, usually the reason why steps change is because information, more information mm-hmm. comes in, which gives us more details. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And that's, that's it. It's not being wishy-washy of like, Oh, whatever I feel like doing. And then today you wake up, you're like, Oh, I don't feel like doing that anymore. The Lord's leading me over here. You're right. It's uh, not this like wishy-washy, like uh, noble sounding spiritualized. No, you know, I always joke like, Oh, I feel at peace with this. Well, that doesn't mm-hmm. actually mean that what you're doing is right. Uh, <laughs> so, right. Cause usually it's more like, okay, Hey, these details have come in. Mm-hmm. This information has now made ourselves available. So you're still going in the same, really, I almost think about it like missionaries go out on the field and the road is wide that they start on. And mm-hmm. as the information comes it kind of lets them know, hey, you need to make a left at this detour. Yeah, you need then it's then you're like, oh, that's not a detour. Okay, so God wants us to kind of like veer off and take this exit, but you're still headed towards the same place. Yeah, yeah. with the same kind of mission mindset. Well, yeah, and you have to realize too, you're trying to make decisions from twenty thousand miles away. Oh, that's tough. Based based on a land you've never been to, you've never seen, you don't know the government, you don't know the people, you don't know how to even order food at the restaurant, you don't that's know true. what city is going to allow you to stay or not, what school is going to let you in. So you're you're just really trying to say, hey, this is what it seems like the Lord is leading us in, but. Um, we know when we're going to move from, you know, let's say from, from Michigan to, to Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, if you've never even been there to see it, you're trying to make decisions from a distance. And so then you add another 20,000 miles, new language, culture, uh, those, those decisions that you're trying to make are, are done. Like you said, based on information you have on Google and whatever (laughs) else. And we're blessed to have some people on the ground that have really helped us significantly, with all of that. But yeah, you get there and you travel up river into the center of an island and you realize, hey, things look a little different here than what we originally thought. And so then you try to navigate now, how do we make another decision based on new information? Yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah. I don't even like making decisions in from the other room, right? Like when the wife's like, what do you want? Uh, I got to go into the yeah, room. Exactly. You're looking at the menu on, on Google instead of being in the restaurant and seeing, <laughs> smelling the food and knowing exactly. what you want there. Yeah. I'm the guy that goes in and it's like, well, I don't know. I've never eaten here before. You tell me what yeah. you should order. <laughs> you work here. What well, do you get? Well, uh, yeah. Well, I'm excited. So you guys, um, Maybe tell us a little bit about uh, your training. So, because you, you unique training, and by the way, um, asked other missionaries about your training, uh, just about the school you went to, and they were all excited about it. Mm. So it comes with like glowing recommendations. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Now, where'd you guys go to school? Is Radius? Yeah. So it's Radius International. and just it's it's a more recent school, I guess you could say, maybe about six years now, I believe. And uh, the whole idea of the school is that they're just seeing not as many people as we would like to see go to these really hard to reach languages, and for good reason. I mean, they're they're difficult. They're you need special linguistic training and. Um, they're just hard places to reach, which is why they're the last people groups. And so they really wanted to see people trained up um, with proper training to be able to go and stay with seeing one thing they constantly talk about is we see that the missionary attrition rate, which means the, the rate at which missionaries are going and then leaving the field 
I mean, it's up in 70 to 80% don't stay more than five years or even two years are some of the statistics. And so when you're needing to learn not just one, but two, sometimes three or four languages, um, and you're only going to stay for two years, that's just not going to get the job done. And so there's um, very pointed, specific training on, I mean, there's theology of suffering classes, there's linguistic, there's... uh, how to start, you know, there's some translation training and how to start um, literacy programs and just things that are specific to that. But I, I would say one of the best parts of the training is that it takes place in another country, um, even just Mexico, which of course is attached to us, but it's very different when you get across that border. And uh, maybe when you're visiting for a week and you're in like a touristy type place, you don't notice it as much, but when you're living there, um, in a small little suburb of Tijuana and you're there for long enough for the romanticism to wear off, um, you start to feel some of those pressures of, uh, I need to buy medicine for my kid and I, I don't know how to say the word and, you know, I need to figure out where to do laundry and I'm wandering around the neighborhood with bags of my kids clothes because they peed the bed again and I don't know how to wash them. And so, there's just those unique pressures that really show you, um, give you a good idea of, hey, being on the field is a lot different than when I watch a missionary biography or I read a missionary biography. It's, it's when you feel those pressures, it's a lot different than just reading about them. So that's very helpful, I would say. That's actually what I liked about your school. That was like my favorite part mm-hmm. because I almost feel like the, the education part, like you can get anywhere. Mm-hmm. But it, in a way, it was almost like they threw you into a missionary context yeah. and were like, okay, if you can't make it here, then you, you can't make it there. Yeah. yeah. So was, I, I love that because the fact that you even survived the school and you're, you and your wife were like, yes, let's keep doing this is probably <laughs> a really good test of like, hey, they, they probably should be like, they'll, they're going to do okay. Well, and that, that hopefully the school at the end will say, hey, we can recommend them, you know, and that's a, that's actually a real good benefit of the school too, is you have um, community group leaders there who are overseeing you and you're meeting with them weekly and they're able to say, which is the case that happened with me with different things. Hey brother, you need to really reel this thing in, in your life. If you're hoping to um, stay long-term on the field, you know, we, we see this, maybe you were short with your kids that day uh, or they see you struggling to, to, parent your kids in this environment. Hey, these are the things we need to see you working on, um, seeking the Lord in. And these are the things they help you navigate. These are potential things that could take you off the field long-term. And they write, they actually write a report to your church, um, which is very, they take the local church very seriously. So they write to your church, your church leaders and say, Hey, these are some things we've noticed. These are maybe some areas we'd like to see you work with them in before they leave for the field. Or things like that. So I, I think it's helpful that they're not just about, okay, we just need to get them in and turn them out as quick as we can. Mm-hmm. But they're very serious about saying, hey, this person either should or should not go to the field based on just what we can see. Well, that's, from what's a, happening that's actually here. a missing element in Christian leadership. It's a lack of testing, really. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that a lot. Uh, you know, th- there is something about the pressures of life that bring out what's really uh, the, the true convictions in a person. And if those convictions are really built on biblical principles. And so, um, you know, now we're obviously we're all going to um, sin and make mistakes. But I think it's how do you 
you know, how do you respond in, in that situation and how do you pivot? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's really great. I think they understand the, the importance of testing and yeah. not just testing knowledge, but testing life. Uh, and th- that in the long run, that's what's going to matter. It's like, okay, what, what doctrine is really inside of you that's going to uh, help you persevere? Yeah. And testing character too is I tell people the character development, the the knowledge, linguistic stuff. I mean, you could go to UNLV and you could become a, a linguist, you know, but um, the, the character testing I think is so helpful because like you said, when those pressures of life come in, when you're put in the furnace, the dross of sin starts to rise to the surface. And uh, like you said, it's not that you, you're never going to sin again, but when you when these sins show themselves that you thought you were doing better in and then you realize, oh, they're still deep within me, um, what do you do about it then? Do you just say, oh, well, everyone's a sinner, so no big deal? Or do you say, how am I going to fight these things in a way that um, I'm going to be able to glorify God in a place that's even harder than this? Mm-hmm. Um, when more sun, sin may bubble up, how do I then seek the Lord in the midst of that and and seek to... Um, kill those things and live for his glory so that that we can be seen to the other people as a holy people set apart to our God and uh, you know speak of his glory and have the people desire to know that God yeah so yeah good stuff man um, so um, I think we we're trying to <laughs> did we did we miss the record a little bit I think we're, you're telling us a little bit about a little uh, bit about the school yeah the school yeah that's right oh no it's good because yeah. that that's I mean that's a very important point that um, you know because you're looking for basically when you when you're supporting a missionary right you're sending somebody overseas to be a leader so in a way they're doing the work of an elder from overseas and character is the big deal in scripture. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting because you go to First Timothy 3 or Titus 1, there is more addressing our character than there is the ability to teach. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think with the internet and YouTube, we have become infatuated with men's ability to speak mm-hmm. to the point to where they will even overlook character issues because, well, but there's no way this guy can't be a godly guy. Have you heard him speak? Mm-hmm. And so that's a very important issue. And so the testing is very important as well, because the only way to test somebody is for life to happen Mm -hmm. and to see how do they respond to these, to these bad situations. Mm -hmm. Um, How does a guy to respond to being fired? How does he respond to his kids? Not, not being a part of the plan in a situation where you need them a part of the plan. And that's just what young kids do, right? You're like, Hey, this is a big deal. We're going to do this. And you show up and one of your kids is like, no, in, in no. Move. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, how are you navigating? So, yeah. you know, th- those are so important to mm-hmm. to doing that 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 it almost I would say almost more important um, than anything else. Yeah. In fact, I, I know I've said before, I really think the best way to tell a guy's character is take him out to lunch, and if you can, tell the waitress to mess up his order <laughs> and to be slow to get things and see, uh, you just give away our secret. Yeah. For, see, how does, how does he respond? Because that is a um, good idea. if, if the way, right, like guys who are short with baristas and wait staff and, and the, those guys, that's just, that's exactly how they're going to be in the ministry. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, mm-hmm. that is a very, 
Very good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so we're doing lunch after this, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to steal that idea. Yeah, yeah. you should. I, I, I don't know where I got yeah. it from. but I mean, that, that is why we're slow to putting people into leadership and we take our time. It's, it's actually for that reason. We want to see them tested through life. Yeah. And uh, because the, the, it's, it's especially in, in our circles where we kind of, um, we emphasize doctrine and theology and we, you know, put a high value on it. Um, people could easily get the information, but has the information worked on their life and, and made them holy, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's really the, an important question for leadership. So, yeah. So it's good. Uh, yeah. So your training uh, came through that. Yeah. So, before that, so that was, I guess, the pointed specific uh, unreached language group type training, which I do think is very important. I think, uh, and Radius says this, that they, they believe a lack of preparation and a lack of training for the specific task is what um, has caused a lot of this attrition is that, you know, people have that dream of, oh, I love the Lord and I want to do something great. So I'm just going to go and I'm supposed to go. And, and you know, we don't treat doctors that way. We don't let someone uh, do surgery on our heart because they just love people and they <laughs> feel compelled to do it. Um, and how much more should it be when we're doctors of souls, you know, eternal souls. And so I think that's the purpose. That is the purpose behind that training. But even before that, um, you guys have kind of touched on this a little bit, but the training, the real true long-term training happens within the local church, you know, and we're called to serve one another and we're called to um, treat others as more significant than ourself. And if that's not happening in the local church, if you're the guy or girl in the local church that will um, see a mess in the bathroom and you go get one of the deacons or the elders to clean it up, um, and you will never clean a toilet and you will never take out the trash and you will never stay after to help put the chairs away. Uh, cause you always expect that it's just, Oh, somebody who is, has a specific office in the church to do those things. Um, I think that's where a lot of that character, like you guys are talking about is seen and, and that humility. And so I think a lot of that training, um, ha happened with us specifically in the local church before going to radius. And there was a lot of things um, that we had to navigate there, um, just moving to the church for a specific reason and then that, that not coming about the way that we had planned it and having to make that decision to stay. Um, and it wasn't like, oh, okay, we're actually going to do this thing you moved here for, but it's going to be a month. It was like, it's not going to happen for years, you know? And so that, that was just an opportunity for the Lord to humble us uh, throughout that time and teach us, hey, um, are you only here at this church because you want to get something out of it? Like go to the mission field or go to seminary or whatever else. Um, you want to step on the backs of these sheep to get to where you want to go? Or are you at this local church because you actually love the people of God and you love the bride of Christ and you want to see the betterment of this local body? Mm. And I think that is where a significant amount of training happens, where you can see people in the church. You know who those people are that you, you can look at them and say, this brother loves the body of Christ. And if I need something done, even if it's taking out the trash, I know that I can ask that person and they will do it without grumbling, without complaining. And there's a lot of times I don't even have to ask them because they just desire to serve, um, even in lowly ways that people don't see. And so I think that is where real humility, training and humility comes about. Because if you think that 
you're going to go to the field because God needs you or because you're something so special, you're going to fall on your face when you get there and praise God that he had me fall on my face many times Mm -hmm. already um, thinking things like that to where it brings about an ability to say, hey, I am nothing. I'm, I'm a finger on an entire body without the rest of the hand. I can't even grab something. And without the elbow moving my hand towards that cup, I can't grab it. And without my feet walking me over there, I'm not doing it. And so realizing you're just a, a piece of the body of Christ and to, to love the whole body in humility is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that that I can't emphasize enough that training happens within the local church. It's loving one another. It's humbling yourself and submitting to one another and seeing yourself as less significant, seeing others as more significant. And, and that's, that's going to enable you then to go and say, okay, we're not going to the field because we're special, because God needs us to go. We're being honored um, with the church, recognizing that, that we're the ones who are going to be sent um, as part of a team, we're just the ones going, um, and the rest of the team is staying back and helping in that way, which is also very significant. And uh, that that we can go and then say, "Hey, we're we're blessed to do this. We're we're being honored by God, and He's allowing us to go and serve Him instead of look out for me. I'm the missionary. I'm going. We're going to be significant. You guys are just peons. They're back at the church doing nothing, you know. And the, mm. there's there's two completely different polar opposite mentalities, you know? Yeah. Wow. Thank you for saying that. It's such a huge deal. I mean, the emphasis of the local church um, and just being part of that body and, and really what you're, what we're really doing is um, at least in your case, you're trying to establish a local church there. So if you can't be part of the local church in your local church and serve them, what, what makes you think you're going to be a good missionary? What do you have to offer? Exactly. (laughs) It's like, um, yeah, you're just creating a pedestal in another country for yourself versus yep. like being part of the body that God's trying to make uh, in that nation. So uh, thank you for saying that. I'm glad that uh, we're we're on the same page with you, yeah. brother. If you can't yeah. be a good layman, you can't be a good leader. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. No, that's great. I love it. Uh, I think we were talking about that Tuesday, you know, on the evangelism. If your aim, your aim is to see people come to Christ, and I really think that's that's a disqualifying feature now, because uh, some, like you just said, some men just want to showcase their ability to communicate the gospel. But if your aim is not to actually lead them to Christ, then you're not actually serving them with your teaching. And so, I actually think those people are disqualified. If your if your goal is not to lead people to Christ, then I don't think you're a qualified teacher mm. or leader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know what your point of standing up and proclaiming Christ is. I guess, I mean, maybe, you know, there's things in the Bible where we see people that have oratory skills and Paul says, I'm not one of those people that's come here to show you my oratory skills, you know? Yeah. And so maybe that's, uh, and and I'm not going to lie and say I've never fallen into that trap of, of wanting to be sound, uh, wanting to sound elo- eloquent or wanting to hear people say, oh, that that boy can preach. Like you hear of what was said of Spurgeon when he was young, you know, but the Lord has a way of working those things out of you yes. um, when you're seeking him to do that and asking him to do that. And I, I heard somebody teach one time about uh, the, the scariest prayer you can ever make is, Lord, make me more like Christ at all costs. And <laughs> when it's so painful that I tell you, you need to stop, don't listen and keep, keep burning me away and make me more like Christ. And I think when you pray that prayer 
in reality, you really mean that, that you desire to be more like Christ and humbly preaching Christ so that people see him and not you, um, the Lord is going to have a way of putting you in situations that bring that about. And it's going to be painful and it's going to, there's going to be suffering. But um, what comes out of that is uh, to walk in greater humility as Christ did, you know, that, that Christ humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, um, even to the point of death, death on the cross, you know, so we need to be seeking that. But yeah, I, I, I have had my share of my pride bubbling up and the Lord making it very clear that that's not the right way to go. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It, it, that's, I mean, that's why, that's why the Bible even says be really slow with young converts because unfortunately it really can't go to their head. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, again, it can be the greatest speaker in the world, but if that's gone to your head, man, you're, you're no longer helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. So training is done. Yes. Well, I mean, not that you're learning, we're always learning, but training's yeah. done. Well, so right after training, um, I guess I'll just progress a little bit in the timeline, but right after training, um, I came back and started a, the the pastoral internship that I originally moved to my church uh, five years prior to do the pastoral internship, graduated from Radius, and, and then went through the pastoral internship there. So that was just a lot of going to elders meetings, doing book reports, meeting with the elders, praying through things, discussing things, serving, preaching from behind the pulpit, teaching Sunday school, just typical um, internship type stuff. And then uh, now progressing forward from that, um, had just been meeting with you guys, obviously, and and just seeking churches to come behind this mission. Um, as we've tried to, to tell people, you know, you may see something in us or may not see something in us. Um, but what we want you to be behind is, as we've already talked about, the gospel going forward. And um, as the questions come, hopefully you guys have seen in other churches we've seen that desire to partner with us, see that we desire to do it in a biblical way of, of proclaiming the gospel and through prayer and through um, seeing the Lord bring people to himself through the means he's ordained to do it with, not some... Uh, man-made, um, man-made means that we think we need something new in our day and age, new and exciting, but uh, pressing forward in that. So just trying to build that that team of people that are going to uh, take up this ministry as their own and say, okay, we're, we're on board with this and we are, are a clear team that's doing this together and you just happen to be the ones we're sending there to do that. So that's been the progression after graduating is trying to build that team of people that are going to say, hey, this is our ministry um, together and we're going to pray for it like it's ours, whether we are there on, on the field or whether we're back home in America. And so that's been the, the process now until... Um, where the next step that progressed after that was three days ago. Now I think we finally were able to buy our plane tickets. So uh, have our tickets now for May 17th. Round and trip? <laughs> Round trip or one way? One way. <laughs> yeah, one way tickets to to Southeast Asia there. So that's um now it's just a, a tornado of... And all the things you you don't really realize when you're leaving somewhere one way to 20,000 miles away, you got to start really throwing away a lot more stuff than you thought. You know, you think you don't really have anything. And then 
uh, you start to pack it into these little bins where you each get two check bags and um, that's all, all you're taking. So that's kind of where we're at now is just this tornado of trying to um, fellowship with the brothers as much as we can before we go and, and be with our loved ones as much as we can and, and then try to just navigate how to get there and then the other multiple steps to get us um, to the language school and find permanent housing and, and all that stuff. So I could just hear my kids. Mommy, but daddy said he gave me these books for the trip. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take these out. These are daddy's <laughs> gifts to me. <laughs> and, then, and then you say, sorry, we'll buy you a new book when we get there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. But, but mommy, this is one on the atonement. Daddy said it's really good. Uh, I'm going to let him read it when we get over there. <laughs> yeah, that's honestly, somebody asked me about difficulties of getting rid of things. And I, I was telling them, I'll, I'll see my kids crying when we are getting rid of all but a couple of their toys. And they'll watch me crying as we get rid of most of my books. So. Mm. Well, I think Jason has space for more uh, library space here, right, Jason? Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> Kyla would love if I, like, moved the library out of the back room into this, like, front room. She would love it. Yeah, libraries look oh, great. Totally. They're, they're very designer-friendly. Yes, friendly, yeah. yes so. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. if you need space for the it books, might be the source we can host it. Some We're just hosting it. We're yes, hosting exactly. Books, Kyla, yeah. we are serving the missions. I can't believe you would at all complain yeah. about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're helping. Yes. There you go. Uh, I tried to tell the people I gave, I I gave a, about 2,500 books already to two different, couple different brothers and kept trying to explain to them, hey, can you just hold, hold these yes. for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the I'll language back coming back to me is now, oh, thanks for those books that you gave me. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, maybe I just need to let it go, I guess. Yep, yeah. Yeah. Or see if you can put them in a church. Yeah, I, that was how it was originally, and then uh, the church had to move around a little bit. Oh, so, yeah. okay, what's tough? Yeah, twenty five hundred books. Yeah, you have Logos though, right? Or one of those? I do have Logos. Yeah, That's I have cool. a, a one of those, and I've been <laughs> I've been uh, regretfully storing up some some Kindle stuff. It's easier to take one Kindle than it is to take all those 300 books, you know, yeah. separately. So it was a, a transition. I am a person who likes a, a paper or whatever book in my hand. Yep. Mm -hmm. I can highlight it and I can write in it. But uh, I slowly, slowly transitioned. And, and Radius helped with that being in Mexico um, and, and reading things, you know, on Digital. Kindle. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it, that was yeah. a slow transition. But I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's hard taking notes in Kindle's hard. Yeah. I just, I mean, I, so long. Yeah. yeah. Just take a mental note, you know? Well, and I just recently <laughs> like figured out how I mark my quotes in books. Cause in my head I was always like, okay, I'll underline it and go back and put it in a document, which you never do. Yeah. So now I put like little markers by it. Like if it's a quotable, Mm -hmm. And so then I can just go open the book and look for that marker and be like, yes, that's it. You know? mm. yeah. That's the one thing I will say is helpful with Kindle is, I mean, lately I've been using my iPad as well and it has the keyboard so I can type my notes oh, yeah. a lot faster. But then you can go to the book and you can just pull up notes and uh, or highlights and then with notes. And so you can have a whole page of just everything you've highlighted and then the notes you've written on it, which makes it kind of nice because it's all in one spot and you can see. Yep. Oh, that refreshes my memory about what exactly this book is about and how it's laid out. And so yeah. I guess it can be useful. 
I keep yeah. telling myself that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it sounds really useful. Yeah. yeah. As long as you're not over highlighting and you're like, why didn't I highlight this? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. No, I like it. All right. So you're headed over there and you're going to be looking to, to do what, what right now? What's the mission? So as of right now, we will need to, the issue we're kind of finding, and this is just all getting to the field stuff, but, um, we have our tickets to get there. We can't land in the actual final destination because there's only uh, the capital of the country is the only place open for foreigners to land right now. So we can't apparently purchase domestic flights in country with a U.S. card or bank account. Um, so we're trying to navigate somebody getting those tickets for us. Um, we can't really figure out from this far of a distance away uh, what the COVID tests needed exactly are um, in order to get on that domestic flight. Uh, so we're just trying to, those are just little things you need to navigate is okay. We land in country. We have, you know, more bags and luggage than we can carry plus our kids. And now we need to get on the next flight, but we don't really know how to do that. So after all of that, we'll get up, uh, navigate that stuff, get up to the uh, semi final destination, I guess the pre-final destination where we will be starting language school. And so that's where we'll be learning the first language, the main language of the country. We have a goal of um, reaching a high level of fluency. We have uh, with our with our organization that is coming aside our local church to help us do all this is uh, reaching and teaching international ministries. So they are setting a very high level of fluency required for us to move on to the final final destination. What does that mean, by the way, high level? Um, so uh, there's kind of two different levels of fluency that is used in missions. More so, the lower level is used more often with sending agencies, which would be considered a market level fluency. So that's where you could order food, you could get a taxi, you could tell them how you need to get where you're going and have base level conversations, but if we're trying to, um, you know, plant a church in a group that's never heard of Christ and you're going to need to navigate things like the Trinity and justification and sanctification and things they don't even have words for, um, we're realizing, and, and I think this is always how it's been up until recently, it's been realized that market level fluency is not going to cut it. Mm. And, and, I personally believe that's a big reason why syncretism is so big on the mission field, which is one religion just blending with another. So you go make um, Muslim Christians and Hindu Christians and animistic Christians because you're not able to explain properly. You're thinking that they're understanding what you're saying, but they're not really understanding what you're saying. And the deep conversations they're trying to have about spiritual things, you can't really have because your fluency isn't high enough. You can maybe uh, write out a sermon in their language or type out a sermon in their language and preach it. But then when they come up to you with a whole bunch of questions about things you said, you can't really have those discussions uh, would be a market level fluency. And that's so fascinating. So that is sadly the standard for most mission agencies is yeah. well, they'll either have no standard or they'll have that standard of, of language learning. I've never made that connection with syncretism and the inability to deeply explain, you know, some th theological concepts. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. And so they'll say, I trust in Jesus. And you, you know, the typical way of doing it is, oh, praise God, let's take a picture of these people and send it back to the church. And we got all these converts. And really when they say, I trust in Jesus, what they mean when you go to their house is that, 
they have Jesus on the top of all the their little idol tower with all the other idols underneath, and Jesus is at the top. And so, you know, oh, well, we do worship Jesus, and, and we do think he's better than all these other ones, but we still need to pray to them too for these other things. And so uh-huh. it's really just throwing Jesus in the mix. and. Yeah. And so it's you need to be able to navigate those situations. You need a word for sufficiency of Jesus, right? That's <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh. Yeah. Okay. And, and so we'll have to get to that that higher level of fluency, which uh, we think two years should be enough time. We're told that it's possible to do it in less, but um, I'm not <laughs> in missionary years. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm technically older. They say it's harder to learn a language after 30. I'm 39. We do have four young children, and we're not willing to sacrifice our family on the altar of ministry. And so even if we can do it in a year, then praise the Lord, and we learn it in a year, and Mm. and that's good. But we want to leave room in our schedule to make sure that uh, I am taking my my great responsibility to lead my wife and children to Christ and to be lovers of Christ and to seek refuge in Christ, and that they can also be a part of the ministry as well, um, I want to take that seriously. And so we're allowing ourselves two years mm. in that first language. And then hopefully, um, uh, if the Lord allows and sickness doesn't prevail or we get kicked out of the country or whatever else, um, we learn that that high level of fluency. We do, uh, we'll do. we be doing actually oral proficiency exams, which is language tests um, throughout that time to make sure we're passing those benchmarks. And then mm-hmm. when we pass the last one, we'll be approved to move into the final, final context, which will be a small island. Um, and that's that's where the unreached people group is at on this, this smaller group of islands. And so that's when we'll uh, begin all over again, talking like a little baby for the next uh, couple years again, striving to learn that language. And that language will take probably about double the time to learn because you don't have things like language school. You don't have books to learn the language or tapes or things to listen to. It's all just starting from from scratch with a language helper, pointing at pictures. Um, you know, in, in in Mexico when we were doing it, it was... Uh, we got a simple sentence structure and some pictures on a page, and you say, "Donde está la manzana?" You know, mm. where is the apple? Mm. You point to the apple. Aquí está la manzana. Here is the apple. And then you do that with all the pictures on the page, and you work your way up. And so it'll be starting like that, but um, in a in a place that has is going to have a lot more sickness. Um, there's not electricity and running water, and so uh, the difficulties, you know, start to stack up. And so that's where we'll have to um, navigate at that point. Also starting a business in order to have a business visa. And so there will just be a a long-term mentality of not just, like Jason said, expecting in five years, hey, we've planted 60 churches already. You know, and so we were looking to partner with people that understand, hey, um, in the parable of the soils, the the plant with deep roots is the one that remained when the trials came upon it. And so in order to establish deep roots, it takes time. Mm-hmm. And if you read back through missions history, this is the way it was always done. You see Adoniram Judson leave, and he never came back to America. He was there for 50-something years, learning the language to high fluency, doing translation, and, and gave his life to planting churches. And you see that with... Uh, with John Payton, you know, he went over there and buried his wife and child within a month and then stayed the rest of his life to do the long-term work of establishing churches. And um, Hudson, I mean, Adoniram Judson even stated, 
You know, if, if these men only want to come for five years, we don't need them. And I'm not saying there's no place for short-term missions. I think there is, and I think they can be done well. But his point is just that it shouldn't be looked at as a bad thing to give your entire life to seeing even one church established in a, a people group that's never had a church there before. That For the Lord to receive worship in a language that he's never received worship in before, I mean, I think that is worth a person giving their entire life to. And we need to switch our thinking and missions from this American quick, 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 quick microwave mentality of you pop a missionary in, in the microwave for two years and out comes a bunch of churches because that's not realistic. And mm. when you read missions history, um, it, it was a, a long-term, lifelong endeavor to see God glorified among those nations. So, Yeah, thinking about missions history, I think of like when the Jews were kind of cast out of their you know, homes and were forced to live elsewhere mm-hmm. and, you know, started to create churches in those areas, you know. Um, um, but they, they kind of, uh, they kind of already knew the language maybe, or yeah. like had some sort of familiarity with it, you know what And I mean? Greek was pretty prevalent. Yeah, Greek yeah. was prevalent. So like they had like a, you know, kind of a, it, it, like it seemed like the Lord used that time frame to do some great mm-hmm. church planting. Um I mean, I just, a thought just came to my mind, like, what about, like, a tribes person, you know, um, like, coming alongside and just you teaching them English type of deal and, like, learning, like, does that, does it normally, does it organically work that way, where it's like you, someone wants to actually learn English and, like, teach, you get teach each other the language type of deal, or is that just me making up, like, fantasy <laughs> in so my head? Some people do take that approach. I have heard of missionaries going in and teaching uh, these tribesmen the language of the country um, that there is Bibles in and resources in. But I would say biblically looking at things. So there's a a term that (laughs) there's been some controversy over that Radius uses, but they call it incarnational ministry. And so uh, Jesus incarnated himself into human form down here on the earth. Um, and of course we cannot be incarnated, uh, as Jesus was God in man and dying for sins to make us right with God, but incarnating in the way that the way Jesus came as a missionary, the greatest missionary to ever live from heaven to earth to save his people. He came as a first century Jew and, and he spoke Hebrew and he spoke Greek and he became one of those people in order to win those people. And we look at that as the model that should be used in missions is our desire is to go in and become one of them to learn their heart language so that they can hear the gospel in their own heart language. Mm. And so that's, that's really what we see as the biblical model. And with that, even though we may not be, um, doing a creation to Christ teaching or a deep gospel presentation for three or four or five years with the tribe, that time is not wasted up to that point, just as Jesus's 30 years walking on earth was not wasted until he started his public ministry. So all of the medical that we're going to be doing, all of the language learning, all of the, um, all of the times of our kids getting sick next to their kids and, and seeing our, our own suffering of malaria and diseases, um, all those things are going to play into 
now we're ready to present the gospel and they're going to remember, mm-hmm. hey, he he helped, saved my kid's life. Yeah. Hey, his kid got sick with mine. Hey, he was at my mother's funeral. He wept with me. Mm-hmm. I watched him lay in his bed sick for a week. He's struggling, talking like a baby while we're all laughing at him to learn our language. Whatever he has to tell us must be very, very important and very serious. So you build all this credibility that if he's willing to come here and not just make me a Westerner so that he can teach me the gospel, but actually become one of us um, so that he can say, hey, this is your God who created you and you don't have to be like me to worship him. You worship him uh, as as your own people. Um, I, that That's where all of that comes into play that mm-hmm. we would say that's really the biblical model is to mm-hmm. to teach them that, hey, you don't have to talk like me or look like me to worship this God because he created you and he created me. And, and somebody brought uh, the gospel from, from Israel all the way to America um, so that I could hear the gospel in my own heart language and read, read of it. And we want to do the same for these other tribes. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think, um, I think what you're talking about is just you're loving people as uh, you know, through you're loving people through their lives. Wow. And that's part, that is part of, that is part of the gospel. It's a, and it's not, you know, the bad word, social justice gospel. <laughs> it's just, they're your neighbors and yeah. they're actually there and you can actually help them and they're, uh, they need your help. And, and more, more than one way, obviously the gospel is the ultimate yeah. help we can give them. Um, but the, the kindness and generosity that is displayed is, uh, I think, I mean, even, even from a, uh, from their standard is probably going to be different, right? Like, yeah. like the way, um, I think, I don't know, I could be wrong, but <clears throat> that's, that's awesome. Like that you're just loving them where they're at and just serving them. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest controversy surrounding radius international specifically, and what I believe is the biblical model of missions is the, the hard stance that is taken on learning language and culture. Oh, and that's okay. just been very controversial for them. And there's been a lot of debate about that. And I have gotten the question numerous times of how is it okay to take so long before the, the, the question is doing ministry, quote unquote, as if the only time you're doing ministry is when you're standing up and proclaiming Christ, um, which of course that's what we want to get to. That's, a, that's the reason why we're going. We want to see Christ exalted through proclamation of the gospel and people um, repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ and being born again. That's what we want to see. Mm-hmm. But you guys are, are elders of a church. You're not only doing ministry when you're standing behind the pulpit. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot more to doing ministry than that. And so the the false dichotomy that's set up is, oh, you, um, you either go there and the first week you get a translator and you start proclaiming Christ um, and then you're actually doing ministry or you just completely waste six years of your life doing nothing. And then you finally get to proclaim Christ and start doing ministry. But that's not actually how it is. All of those six years, four years, three years, who knows? We learned two languages in two years. Right. <laughs> I mean, that'd be the best thing ever, obviously. But all of that time up to that for those six years is not wasted. It's not not doing ministry. Uh, all of that is used by the Lord. And and the way we kind of look at it and the way Radius would argue it and my sending agency and me personally would argue it is that um, having a long-term view 
is going to pay off when you spend that initial time learning language. Because you may go in and you may say, okay, I've got enough of it. I can write out sermons and memorize them and I can preach it and I can start doing this thing now. But every person that I have talked to that's done that, they tell me that they regret it. They Mm. tell me that they wish they would have spent more time on language and they tell me to spend enough time on language that I don't need a translator anymore. Mm -hmm. And you may have a couple years of feeling like, what am I even doing here? I'm not even leading people to Christ. I'm not even doing the ministry that I would like to be doing. But then when you get to that level of fluency, you now have free access to, to any of those people without needing a translator, without needing someone to help you. You now have however many more years the Lord's going to give you, 10, 20, 30, 40 years of full-on fluency and freedom with the people. Yeah. As where you may you may jump right in after a year, and now you have uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 years of maybe half being able to talk to them and half not. I mean, I, I think having that long-term view of being willing to sacrifice your own pride um, to say, I'm going to I'm gonna seem like maybe I'm doing nothing and people from America are going to be poking me and saying, what's going on? Why are you not having all these converts? Mm-hmm. And just and then say, hey, the long-term view is we get to fluency and then we have a more fruitful ministry for those 10, 20, 30 years. I love years, that, you know? that, that you said you can have the freedom to just speak freely almost when you actually learn the language yeah. in, in such a way that uh, the impact is going to be not just initial but generational mm-hmm. even that's awesome man yeah i think there's there's actually something to the that i've been a, made aware of by other missionaries and that is that just because you learn the language doesn't mean you learn the culture exactly mm. and so part of actually learning a language to me you actually understand the language better if you kind of start to understand the culture better yes and so you've kind of got to ingrain yourself a little bit in the culture there too because that probably actually helps you then make like the language makes more sense if the culture starts to make yeah. more sense. And so then you're actually a better communicator. Then this is the part that I think a lot of Christians don't realize is um, one, they're speaking truth, but two, they're speaking truth in a loving, gentle way. That's more impactful. Mm-hmm. And that does require a little bit of like learning their culture mm-hmm. Um you know, we get this with our spouse because we, we will not say things to our spouse because we don't want to step on our spouse's toes. And so we, but sometimes when it comes to sharing the gospel, there's this like, well, it doesn't matter. You speak truth. And you know, if they're offended, well, then they can take that up with God. And it's like, well, but you don't do that with your spouse. Like, so, so why not be, why not, why not be, take a wise approach and say, Hey, maybe I could speak the same truth in a more palatable way that allows me to keep their ear. And the, so there's some, there's a beauty to actually learning a culture and a language mm-hmm. that, uh, that I like what you're saying, because that extra time just allows you, to, you know, you're never going to fully understand their culture, but you can understand it, right? If you can understand a little better so that when you do speak, it, it carries further. Like to me, that's a better approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. And I mean, Hudson, there's something that Hudson Taylor said to people coming over to him, another man that had the long-term view of giving his life and his entire life to reaching a people with the gospel. And he found out that people were praying for tongues, the gift of tongues, uh, so that they didn't have to learn the Chinese language. And he told them that even if he could immediately give everyone the gift of that Chinese language, that he would not do it because 
the growth that comes through learning that language, the hard work, the humility of um, you talking like a two-year-old and using the wrong words and everybody in the whole circle starts laughing at you because you sound like their baby and you're a, a big baby man, they call you, you know? <laughs> and all, yeah. all the stuff that that brings is what prepares you then. And like you said, learning that culture at the same time, I mean, everything we do in America is... Uh, coming from this worldview that we've grown up in all of this, the movie references we make, the sarcasm that we use, the, mm. the jokes we use, you know, you're yeah. um, all of that is, is from this worldview that we have. And we need to be able to understand that, like Jason said, in that, in that other culture. And <laughs> there's a, a, a sad saying about missionaries that that is even said by by the groups of people that they're going to serve among is they say you know who the missionary is because he's the one who always laughs last at the jokes yep and so it <laughs> takes him a minute to get it and then he starts laughing after everyone and we don't want to we don't want to have that we don't want to be called oh the go see the guy who talks like a baby mm-hmm. you know this is a serious message this is life or death this is eternal damnation or eternal life Uh, and we want to take that seriously. And, and just as I would not want to go have to see my elder and do marital counseling with him through a translator. Um, we believe that these people would desire that same thing. They don't want to have to always, um, talk to us in the simplest terms they possibly can, or go through a translator all the time, just as we don't, we don't want to do that. I mean, what if anybody who came to see you from your church, could only talk to you in five-year-old terms, five-year-old language, or through a translator. I mean, eventually they're going to find someone that they can speak to in their own language and and in deeper terms than just a two-year-old or a five-year-old. You know, so I think um, we we can we think about these things in every other realm, but the missionary field. Whether it's a doctor, whether it's a psychiatrist, you go and you see a counselor or a doctor or whatever, and, and you expect that you're going to be able to talk to them in a, in an adult manner. Um, but then for some reason, when we leave America and we go to a new, uh, we cross a border, we think that everything changes then, that it no longer matters how we talk. It no longer matters learning the language. It, it no longer matters that uh, the Bible somehow changes when we get into a different zip code or a different country. You know, and we need to we need to kill that mentality of hey, let's get back to the right way of doing things, the way the apostles did it, and the way that's laid out in the scriptures, and not just think, oh, well, you don't understand. Things work a little differently over here. I mean, the Bible mm-hmm. is a book that God has given to us that doesn't change, and it didn't. The Bible didn't come to us in English in America, you know. And so to say that oh, we should leave some of the, that scripture behind when we go to another place. Um, You know, we didn't do that when we translated it into English. So why should we say, oh, well, that's not as important when we go to a place that has no scripture even, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I think, I mean, the framework really is what you're, what you're saying is be like, what's going to actually serve them best do that. Right. That's really the question you're trying to answer. And long-term there is something about that long-term, um, obviously there's a role with other methods but like that long-term commitment to know them and walk alongside them do life with them and give them the gospel is there there is an impact that's different uh, is what you're saying so that was really helpful i didn't i didn't know all that stuff uh, and i don't know too much missionary history so that's very very enlightening yeah, that's um, helpful 
I think uh, a couple things just to kind of summarize here, uh, kind of finish up. You know, definitely listen in, and and part of part of our responsibility in supporting missions is one financial. Um, just to be blunt, David didn't say it, but I'll say it for David <laughs> and for every other missionary. Like, um, you know, one that's part of our responsibility. And, and two, just to help you out, like if you're listening and you're like, oh, but I can't give as much as I want to give. That's fine. Like you're better to like, honestly, I don't know a missionary out there that's like, oh, yeah, I would rather have five big donors than a thousand people giving five bucks a month. Like if you just said, hey, I'm going to I'm going to skimp one cup of coffee this week. If you'll if you'll drive by Starbucks once and just rather than pay for your five dollars coffee there, like just you know, go to your app on your phone and send it to a missionary like that. That actually all has a way of adding up in ways that you don't realize the way God does it. Um, so right. Give faithfully to your local church, but then give, give a little extra, even if it's a couple bucks. And again, like it's just amazing how God does that. And so, you know, and then ask Lord, Hey, could, could you please allow this to grow so that I can give more like, but it starts small work, work up, um, and again, David, David did not come to us and say that he didn't say, Hey, could you make a pitch? This is me. This is pastoral me with somewhat of an understanding of what's going on saying, no, you've, you've, this is a responsibility that you need to adopt and it should be seen in your financial records. So, and then a part of that priority is also to pray. And so what you've heard are the challenges of learning a language, learning a culture, realizing that they're going to be engaging with unbelievers that there are going to be times where they're going to feel alone because there's not going to be a big church. Uh, there's going to be their other team members that they're hanging out with that are believers. Um, now in the first city you go to, there might be a couple local churches that you can kind of be involved with, right? Yeah. We don't know exactly what they're going to be, you know, theologically or anything like that, but we've been told that there is, um, at, at least maybe a couple gospel preaching churches there. So that will be uh, an ability to have some more fellowship as we learn more of what they're actually saying in that first context. But then in the in the second context, anybody who goes to an unreached uh, group, it's going to be very lonely and they will not have any other believers except for if they have teammates um, or their wife or if their children are saved will be the only believers for quite a few years. So yeah, that's a, a big prayer. I mean, not just for us, but missionaries in general going to that type of environment is they will be um, by themselves and also being attacked from the enemy at all times because he's had that place in darkness for so long. So yeah, but prayer, like you said, prayer is is so, so needed. I Even thinking about finances, a real quick side Bar, but thinking about finances, I, I often say to people, hey, if you can give, you know, pray to the Lord and see if he would have you give to us or someone else or something. But um, God can realistically, if he wants to provide money from unbelievers, even he could weigh it on an unbeliever to say, I don't know why, but I'm just going to give money to this as a philanthropist or something. But those same unbelievers are not going to be praying to the Lord in true biblical prayer to see God glorified among the nations. And so praying for missionaries is, is such a huge need. They need your prayers badly. Yeah. Agreed. You know, one, one other, one other thing. So I'm just trying to kind of like catalog, you know, somebody kind of at the end of this going, okay, well, what can I do? So pray, give, um, 
be aware when you're, when you listen and read missionaries updates, be aware of what they say mm-hmm. and, and realize too, that they're dealing with people. And again, God can move people's hearts and he does. So we want to be praying accordingly. And then also, I just kind of want to bring this up because it's, it's, it's a more common, um, it is becoming a public it is becoming a part of the public discourse. And, you know, the other day I was talking to somebody and he's like, well, but you know, you've read that history from the winner's perspective. And there was a part of me, it's like, um, I'm going to push back on you. And normally I don't do that in an open conversation, but this time I was like, I get that, but we as readers can be aware of that. And so the, and the other one is, well, but why would you want to go in and westernize these indigenous tribes? And, and what you brought up, and I'll just kind of restate you and let you carry it on and kind of to, to help make people aware is a lot of these people are like, wait a minute, you, you Westerners have these amazing medical resources, medical abilities. Why would you not reach out to us and share these things with us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's actually an interesting twist to that kind of perceived it's, it's to me, it's like, once I once you kind of made this point, it made you realize, oh yeah, it's a very self righteous, almost excuse for being lazy. Yeah, it's it's just like you know how sometimes you can like talk yourself into doing something sinful. Oh, I'm not gonna go reconcile because I don't want to. I don't want to say something sinful. Well, that that sounds noble, but that's that's actually like <laughs> completely trash. So, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll let you kind of, well, that, take that, that is actually, um, a push you get sometimes as <laughs> I was even just, I was at the skate park yesterday and a guy I hadn't seen in a long time, it came up, uh, you know, he asked what I was doing and it came up and he is not a believer. And that was one of his first questions. So they want that. Do they even want you to come there? Like, are you sure you should, you should go there? Do they even want that? And we have this mentality of, Oh, well, the, the guys in this paradise over there in the jungle without any of our whatever we think is so bad about, you know, having electricity and air conditioning and medicine that my kid doesn't die when he's two years old, um, all seven of them, which is common over there, you know. And uh, so we have this idea that, oh, they're so happy over there. But one one resource I would recommend to really, really open open Pandora's box on that thing, or even just expose that lie is there's a book called spirit of the rainforest. And I will warn anybody that listens to this and wants to read that it is very, very gruesome. And it's, I don't struggle much with, uh, you know, blood and guts and that type of stuff really, um, probably just desensitized to it through movies and stuff. But this is a hard read Mm -hmm. and it is about tribal people that were in Ecuador or somewhere, I believe, the Yanomamo people. And these people were baffled, completely baffled when they found out that we were saying, oh, we shouldn't send people over there to help them. We should just leave them alone because, I mean, their children are dying. They, 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 their children do not live barely ever. They're slaughtering each other. They're, they, they were eating each other at different times. The women are, are, are killed for the slightest offense to the men and, and they're ridden with disease and they're always trying to stay alive. And they just couldn't believe that Westerners would say, oh, well, you just need to leave them alone because you're trying to go over there and Westernize them. They, they hunger to have the same 
um, benefits that we have and the same blessings that we have for med- even just something like medicine. I mean, they're watching their children die of starvation. They're watching their children die of disease over and over and over again. And to say, oh, you're just going over there to westernize them is just, I think, like you said, for one, it's a way to play some holier than thou card or to uh, be lazy. But even aside from that, the fact of the matter is, uh, done biblically and done rightly, nobody's nobody on my team and nobody that's doing it biblically is going over to westernize anybody. And that's, um, if anything, like I said, the biblical way is to become one of the people and to teach them the exact opposite that, hey, you don't have to be Western to worship the God who created you. God did not create America. And, and you know, God created different human beings, different peoples, different tribes, different languages, different nations. And uh, every church in every nation does not look the same. And so we will not be going over there saying, okay, you need to wear a tie and a suit when you preach in the middle of the jungle, okay? And you guys need to sing out of these hymn books and you guys need to um, have your worship service laid out in this exact order. That, that's, that has nothing to do with going to plant a church and another people group. The things that do not change are that they should um, be a people who, who teach from God's word, um, that even if they write their own songs to the Lord and sing them with their own instruments in their own way, they, they're to sing to the Lord songs and hymns and spiritual songs. They're to uh, disciple one another in the Lord. And they're to have elders that oversee the body and take the Lord's Supper and practice baptism. And how those things are done, it doesn't matter if it's Western or Eastern or Northern or Southern. Um, as long as those those things are implemented in the local church. And so um, in no way is is anyone from my team and anyone doing it biblically going over to, and saying, okay, we need to make them uh, American and then they'll be a, a true biblical church. You know, So I just think that's a false, that's kind of another one of those straw men set up that isn't a reality. Yeah, agreed. Well, and even reading through Acts, I think Paul summarizes... For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave doll so that I might I may win more to the Jews that became a Jew so that I might win Jews to those who are under laws and law, though not being myself under law so that I might win those who are under law to those who are without laws, without law, though not being without law of God, but in the law of Christ that I might win to those who are without law to the weak. I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men. And I think I think there's a sense in which Paul's saying I became agreeable to people. And I sacrificed my own preferences to to not needlessly offend other people. And and I think there there is a sense, this is probably its own podcast, to where there there are some Christians out there that are just saying, Hey, I'm being faithful to preach the gospel. And it's like, no, you're being offensive. Like you you could easily change some of your language and communicate the same truth as scripture. You know, I mean, people that know me know I don't have a problem with bourbon and scotch, but at the same token, if you came over to my house and you were like, and I knew that that was a problem for you, I'm not going to bust out bourbon and scotch. Like, it's just not, there's no reason to do something that's going to needlessly offend you. And it's the same thing when you go to another culture, like, and Alexander Strahl talks about this in his book. It's Strock. It's, it looks like Strock. And it, but he he's denying his German heritage there. <laughs> that that goes back to a conversation we had before. We 
we hit record. So Straub actually says, right, hey, there are times where you just realize that this word in your culture is offensive. And so you don't say the word in your culture because you don't need you don't need to unlovingly offend people. And and that's true. Like I t- I teach my boys that cuss words are not necessarily sinful. I tell them they're unloving. And because the people you're going to engage with are not going to respect they're going to actually be, it's going to be a hiccup for them to hear you say those words. So rather than say those words, be loving and pick different words. That's the same thing, right? I mean, and, and of course, you know, in some people's mind, they're like, well, but if you're not willing to talk about the atonement, yeah, of course there's some kind of line there, but all things being equal, we can explain Christ in a way that doesn't needlessly create offense, you know? Yeah. Uh, and at the same token, we're not talking about watering down the message. You know, the gospel is not a Western message. Uh, and that that's, I think even then, you know, a lot, a lot of that is just coupled with, you know, the, that, yeah, it's a straw man, but also it would just reveal some people can't think beyond an inch deep about an issue and don't realize, you know, that's, a, that's a whole litany of issues. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, David, thanks for being here today. Uh, hopefully Thank this you, is helpful. Uh, hopefully uh, you listen to this. You feel like you got to know David's heart a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by everything you said. Did we, do we miss anything? Yeah, I think we got bonus, uh, bonus uh, material. <laughs> we did. Yeah, we did. that was fun. <laughs> Thank you guys yeah. for having me. See, this is, this is why this, this is kind of fun, Gino and I have all the time. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I appreciate you, David. Uh, we'll be praying for you. Love you, brother. And uh, looking forward to, to, we are not going to be emailing you asking you for a uh, account of how many people got saved. We, <laughs> At least not yet. Yeah, I mean, hey, we will rejoice with you uh, no matter what in the process if, if the Lord allows you to lead somebody to Christ. But we're, we're not looking for those numbers. So, And um, we will, I think, even with that being said, we do want to pray that God saves everybody. You know, We mm. want to pray big. And so John G. Payton constantly prayed that the Lord would save everybody in the New Hebrides Islands. And we will be praying the same agree. with the people group we're going. And we will labor mm-hmm. uh, to see that happen. And we will trust God with the results. You know, exactly. It doesn't say we can't ask for that. It just sure. says we... Uh, we leave the results in the hands of the Lord Amen. after asking. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We're not going to Americanize you. Well, <laughs> is the Lord really working if you don't have a $3.6 billion building? Uh, and a? That's what you want to do. You want to go in with your $3 million church building. That makes the most sense. You mm. drop it in from a helicopter <laughs> yeah, exactly. into the center of the island. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I look forward to hearing updates, and we'll be praying for you. And and hopefully this will be helpful to people. Long, Hopefully some people will be listening to this and be like, oh, he's been there for a year, and I'm just now hearing this, yeah. this podcast. So, All right. Well, thanks, David. Uh, all right. If you guys have questions or comments, feel free to don't ever hesitate to email. Uh, you can always uh, talk to us, and we'll make sure that, that you get on David and uh, – uh, and your team's email update. I'm sure there will be, even though I know you don't have electricity and internet, I'm sure there will be some kind of communication back from time to time. So if you see smoke on the horizon, it's probably David. Yeah, uh, it's, it's uh, <laughs> or code. Signal. We'll yeah. teach you how to do the smoke signals. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, but but that's cool. Um, so, again, if you're interested in more information or staying up to date with them, let us know, and we'll make sure you get in contact with them and, and on that communication list. Uh, there's always updates. You can always come to our missions teams meetings. Again, uh, that that's for anybody that wants to be involved. And so, 
this is a responsibility that, that we are going to be held accountable to before the Lord. And so kind of the word we use, this is a relationship we have to maintain and we have to work for it. And so um, it takes time, energy and effort and resources. And that's where you can also be involved in helping us as a church maintain these relationships. Uh, it's, it's too much to ask one specific elder to do all of this. Uh, so it takes a team of people at the church and it's a responsibility that, that we, we are very excited about as well. All right. Love you guys. And we will see you soon. Mm-hmm.